nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Spain, this is The Drive Home with Harry Waters. Hello, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. How are you? How has your day been? I hope it's been wonderful. I hope it's been lovely. And I also hope that it has been great. Um, what have you been up to? We've got a lovely show in store for you today. Uh, we've got a wonderful guest. Um, staying staying up for us, coming in all the way from, uh, from the UAE, which is going to be lovely. Um, she'll be here very soon um, to, to chat and and share her, her ideas and expertise on, on what to do with CPD, where to go, and how to get there. So Anna Hasper will be here very soon. Uh, before that, uh, you've got me. <laughs> um, and it's been a, a funny old week this week, hasn't it? Um, it I, I know it's only Wednesday, and it, it feels like it's beyond Wednesday, to be honest. Um, but it is only Wednesday, um, and I, I feel like I've, I've already been up for four and a half weeks. Um, <laughs> so I've I've recently got a new project that started. I'm, I'm I'm writing an activity book for for a government ministry of education, which is exciting. It's something different. Um, and I've been waking up super early to make sure I can get as much of it done as possible before the day starts. Now, I, I had taken this approach recently um, to, to get my work done. I don't know if any of you do this, uh, but yeah, I've been waking up at, you know, a couple of hours before before the family get ready so I can get two good hours, two solid hours of work done in and and so the day started, you know, by the time responsibilities kick in, I'm ready for um, I'm ready for the day and I've done plenty of work already. So I don't know how many of you get that done in that way. Certainly, uh, certainly something that I've taken to recently. It does leave you a bit tired halfway through the day, which is an interesting one. Um, I'm not sure I, I would have done it while I was working in a school in classrooms but now i'm um i'm freelance and, and i have evening classes as well um it's a bit different i'm also you know creating materials and doing a lot more teacher training now so so my schedule is a lot less rigid than it used to be uh, so waking up at five o'clock in the morning isn't the most absurd thing to do at the moment uh, and i've certainly been enjoying it it also gives me a real feel that I make the most of the whole day and I haven't felt myself rushing and panicking about how much work I've had to do. And I've been able to take a couple of really long lunch breaks, which is, which has been very nice. I have to admit. Um, but it's been awfully rainy here. I don't know what the weather's been like over in the UK or wherever anybody else is listening, but it's been awfully rainy here in Spain, um, here in Seville. It's, it's rained basically for a week and a half which is a little bit annoying. Why is it a bit annoying, Harry? Because, drum roll please, oh hang on, I could probably find one of these in the audio effects. Why is it annoying for you, Harry? He looks... Because tomorrow is my birthday. 
amazing news. So tomorrow is my birthday um, and I was hoping to go to the countryside on Saturday and enjoy a nice picnic with my friends because you know what? You only turn 38 once and uh, why not celebrate in style? Um, so that's what I was going to do, but it's been raining and raining and raining and raining. So I don't think the countryside is going to be a particularly nice place to be uh, over the weekend. So instead, I'm just going to go to a, a local restaurant with both of my friends and uh, we're going to enjoy uh, the fact that I'm getting ever closer to middle age um, and rapidly at that as well, it seems. <laughs> so I will be joined very soon, as I mentioned, by Anna Hasper. Why don't you share some of your CPD dreams and your CPD nightmares with us? Um, you can share them over on Twitter, uh, of course, using the hashtag TTRadio22. Um, or you can just chuck them in the chat box. Or, of course, feel free to call in. Um, but do stick around and do uh, stay tuned for the news and the Two Minute Tech. We'll be back very shortly. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, Follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure that Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from Witherslack Group can support them and you. Providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. This very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out. Register for free at witherslackgroup.co.uk today. Witherslack Group, the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs. 
This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Research, which was carried out by the National Day Nurseries Association, has found that 95% of nurseries in England don't have enough to cover basic costs, following the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Nursery finances will face further squeeze in April as a result of soaring heating and electricity bills, a further 6.6% rise in the national living wage and a 1.25% rise in national insurance. Emma White, owner of two private nurseries in Suffolk, said, Most of our staff are on minimum wage or above, and these payment increases are so well deserved. They have worked all the way through COVID. What makes it difficult for us is that they are not being mirrored in the amount the government gives us and they are expecting nurseries to take the hit personally when there is very little left to pay themselves. We have had to keep doors and windows open in the nursery for ventilation because of COVID, which means the heating has to be kept on. Within months, our heating bill has gone up by a third and will go up again in April. A government spokesperson said, the early years of a child's life are the most crucial, which is why we have invested more than £3.5 billion in each of the last three years to deliver the free childcare offers, including the 30 hours a week for working parents. John Beattie, former Scotland rugby star, has slated Scottish teaching unions for being responsible for Scotland not being better at rugby than other parts of the UK. He said, we are a small rugby playing country. Teacher strikes in the 70s and 80s, I think killed off much sport in schools in Scotland. His comments followed six Scotland team players being disciplined for a post-match trip to an Edinburgh pub after their Six Nations victory over Italy in Rome on March the 12th. John Beattie's comments have prompted a healthy debate about the direction Scottish rugby should take and come despite the last teacher strikes in Scotland being in 1985 to 86 in protest at pay and cuts by the Tory government under Margaret Thatcher. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to look at technology and supporting us getting lunch. Why? Because I asked every teacher I met last week if they had lunch regularly, and most of them said no. The reason being, they're too busy most days. Now, right off the bat, I'm not going to discuss any types of diet. This is just about getting lunch. Simple ways to get calories in to power the body. As always, I've tested these things out for you and added my humble opinion. First, I'm with zero extra cost using the technology of the freezer. You can freeze a sandwich. I quite like this idea as it stopped me eating a sandwich in the car on the way to a school. If I know a sandwich is there, it calls to me. Calls to me. Calls it being frozen meant I had to wait. 
The downside is making the sandwich. However, throwing 10 slices of bread down, adding filling and then into a Ziploc bag would be quite easy on a Sunday evening. You might need quite a bit of space in your freezer though. Next, I used a trusty thermos mug and noodles. I thought it was a good idea, but unlike a sandwich that you can eat on the go, I needed a fork and then had to consider not dripping it on my tie, so I actually had to stop and eat. So not as simple as a frozen sandwich, but I did have a hot lunch. Now hold on to your hats. I tried this again. I did enjoy a hot lunch, so I smashed the noodles up before I put the water in the second time around. That day, I drank my lunch. No need to find a fork, lid off, quick swig of noodles, genius. The downside I can see is washing the mug. I know I'll find it on the draining board waiting to be washed when I want to get out the door. Finally, I tried a snack bar. You can get these quite cheap online and you can find them to match most dietary needs. It was definitely the easiest option, but would be the most expensive over time. For me, it didn't feel as lunch-like, if I was being totally honest, but it did the job of rapid calorie input on the go. So, in conclusion, if you're not having lunch, why not try one of these ideas? You will definitely feel better for it. P.S. I googled International Lunch Day and it actually exists. However, it's on the 10th of March, so we've missed it. Gutted. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you have for your lunch. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Well, a very interesting tech briefing for us there. Um, what did I have for lunch today? I actually had a. Oh, um, my 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 wife wasn't here. She she had gone out. She was busy. So I, I made my own lunch. Obviously, you know, I often make lunch for her as well. But I'm lazy when I make my own lunch. Uh, and today, I just had two vegan burgers on top of each other um, with some vegan cheese as well. Um, but my lunch is irrelevant. Um, I actually spoke to somebody else earlier today, right after they'd eaten their lunch. Clever segue there. That's today's guest, um, our our wonderful uh, teacher trainer. She's a uh, specialist and, and she's an author. She's 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 a bit of everything, really. Um, she also guided me very well through the the Global Teacher Festival and was my webinar buddy. So Anna Hasper, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Hello. Hi, Harry. Thank you so much for inviting me. And it's lovely to be here. Thank you so much lovely. for saying yes. <laughs> Made me hungry now listening to Joe. Well, yeah. How, um, <laughs> what did you have for lunch today? Because I spoke to you very briefly after you'd had your lunch. Now, what, what was it that you had? Um, my husband, I don't know why, he never really cooks or he used to cook, but no longer really. Um, he felt like a cooking spray in the weekend. So there was broccoli soup in the fridge, which was really nice. So I had some of that. And you could have that on the go as well, obviously, um, as they were talking about there. With a straw, possibly, right? <laughs> there you go. As long as it's a sustainable straw, then I don't mind. <laughs> yeah. But there we go. Um, so now our talk of lunch is done um, and we have missed International Lunch Day, obviously, by by 13 days, which is which is a shame. Um, but we're beyond lunch now. We're actually into snack time here in, in Spain. Um, what time are we at where you are? Well, I just had a snack. But it's probably going to be dinner for today. Um, it's quarter past eight. Oh, oh, OK. So you'll be you'll be having dinner shortly after we've, we've finished speaking, I imagine. Um, I actually just shoved in a quick chapati, think I need some energy for this. And <laughs> otherwise, it's going to be way too late to eat. So it's snack time as well for me today. Ah, OK. So it's like a, a kind of uh, a snacky dinner kind of thing. Exactly. Ah, Easy fantastic. to make. Yeah. I had some grapes before <laughs> we came on, but it is only quarter past five here. So there is plenty more time. Um, 
But anyway, all of this is irrelevant. Um, this has nothing to do with with CPD. This has nothing to do with with Anna Haspa. So you're in ELT. I'm in ELT. Um, it's been a, a, a I was going to say a long and winding road for me. It, it's been a winding road. It's not been long yet. I don't think. Although 15 years is a fair while. Um, how has your your road been in ELT? How has your journey been? Um, probably quite winding as well and about 20 years now so I would say 15 years what you say is quite a long road as well isn't it it's a so, reason I think um, it's at least a reasonable road you know when I say that a lot of people often go oh only 15 years and make me feel like you know I'm I'm still a babe you know still still a young one but you know that's it's, great it's good to, still it's good young. to feel young exactly I'm turning 38 <laughs> tomorrow but you know that'll that'll do I'm still young enough um, you're as young as you feel exactly yeah. exactly That's so it. tell it's me about your, your 20 year winding road to your journey on ELT um, my journey in ELT it actually started after I resigned from a job because I studied political science and uh, public administration because I think I've always been quite driven to make a difference to enable other people to support other people um, so I thought, let me go and study political science and then we can solve all the problems in the world. Um, well, you can see what happens, right? So I think very quickly I became quite disillusioned, like this is just not really me. Mm -hmm. um, and you get quite boxed in. You either fit in a box or you don't. And I think I never really fitted in one of those boxes. Um, so finished my studies anyway, completed my MA in public administration, um, got myself a job, worked for a year, changed jobs, worked for another year. And then I thought, this is just, I don't know, this is not what I want to do with my life. Resigned and decided to pick up my backpack and travel the world. <laughs> so not really sure what I was going to do next, but I thought, let's just go and explore and see what comes in my way. Um, so yeah, all went well until I arrived in China. And this is 2000 and one I was traveling on my own and traveling in China at that time wasn't that common there weren't a lot of other tourists around mm -hmm. uh, I vividly met, remember I met a guy from Iceland and I'd never met anyone from Iceland and there were not a lot of other people around it's like whoa what are the chances <laughs> did you have while you were in China did you have lots of people asking to have photos with you I felt like a supermodel. I yes. loved it. I was there for a year and I sud I suddenly felt that I was maybe the most attractive person in the world and the best at football ever because I, I played football in the school I was at and I was con I was I was pretty good. Um, so sadly, they then asked me to play basketball and I'm rubbish at that. I am very tall, but I was rubbish and they... Uh, yeah, they, they kind of looked at me like, oh, go back to playing football. So, yeah, so China was very interesting for you when you got there, I imagine. Yeah, loads of people coming up to you, and I've got quite long blonde hair. And I remember sitting in the bus, and people behind me would just sort of try to just pull one hair out, but it's actually connected <laughs> to my head, you know, yeah, ouch, you know, it really hurts. They can't so do that to, to me anymore. My hair. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I've got none. I, you've been in China way too long, Harry. <laughs> they pulled it all out. <laughs> and then they're trying to touch your arm and pulling some hairs out of your arm. Anyway, that was my experience because I was traveling alone with a backpack, which wasn't a very common sight at that time, a female blonde on your own with backpack. 
Um, and I ended up in a horrible, horrible night bus. Oh my God. I don't know if you've experienced those, those like sleeping buses mm -hmm. and they're not reclining seats. They're just sort of boxes on top of each other. And with two people, you sort of placed in that. And it was absolutely disastrous. He was hooting the horn the whole night. And I don't know, the bus broke down. We didn't get anywhere. Then at some stage we stopped and um, it started raining and, and gale force wind and everything. So apparently a typhoon was coming past. I was like, right, okay, you have to get out of the bus. Well, no, I don't speak Chinese, but everybody was leaving with the stuff on their heads. I put my backpack on my head, walk out, follow everyone to a train station. Um, so I end up in this train station and honestly, like thousands of people in the train station and just, they stopped and they all looked at me like, oh, help. <laughs> Here I am. I don't even know where I am because I don't know how to ask where I am. Mom, I just want to go home. So anyway, I found a little place, sat down with everyone staring at me, as you probably know as well, that, that was maybe more common at those days. And there was a girl that came up to me and I was like, oh, I really need to go to a hotel. I can't sit here the whole night. I mean, how long is this going to take? The streets are flooded. And so this girl comes up to me with a, with a massive smile on her face and so kind. And she said, hello, my name is Vivian. How are you? And I'm like, oh, Vivian, perfect, I need your help. So my whole story came out, like I didn't know where I was, what to do, I needed help with a hotel, can you help me, blah, 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 blah. And she just nodded and nodded and I kept going. I'm like, yes, she really understands me. And then at the end, when I was finished, I was like, so, so can you help me to find a hotel? Because I don't want to stay in the train station overnight. And she just went, hello, my name is Vivian, bye-bye. <laughs> And that was the moment that I think, yeah, no, I need to teach English. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a, that's a great kind of like light bulb moment, to be honest. Um, so 2001 in China, did you start teaching in China or, or did you go elsewhere? I actually uh, did my salsa in New Zealand. So mm -hmm. I started teaching in New Zealand, but of course, um, I don't know what you know about New Zealand language schools, but most of our students are from China, Korea, Japan. Later on, we got some more Saudis and Omani students, but uh, let's say the majority of my students were Chinese. And in 2003, I actually ended up teaching in China for a language school, a New Zealand language school. Oh uh, yeah, whereabouts in China were you? Uh, Dongying. Okay. which is in Shandong province. It's about five hours from Qingdao. Okay. And five hours from Famous Beijing. For their so... beer. Yeah, exactly. So the beers were okay. We could get them in Dongying, but the Big Mac and the, and the McDonald's did not exist at that stage in uh, the town yeah, I, I was, was living in. I was in the south when I lived there in a place called Zhongshan. So I was only about three hours from Hong Kong. So that was great because I could go over to Hong Kong whenever I wanted. But the village I was in called Haijou was, it was about 25 kilometers from the nearest like kind of big town, which was um, Guzhen, which was the China's lighting capital. They only sold lights there. Um, and I used to ride my bike um, so I could go. <laughs> So I could go and get a KFC. Um, I'd ride 25 kilometers. I'd get there, I'd eat a full family bargain bucket of KFC and then hop on my bike and go back. So, um, yeah, they're certainly interesting times, um, those. So, so yeah. China, and then did you, did you move on after China or did you stay there for a while? 
Uh, I was in China for a while, then moved back to New Zealand, um, worked in Japan for a short time, because you probably know GEOS, the chain of language schools we used mm -hmm. to have. Yeah. Um, and then ended up um, teaching in Australia. For, so. for GEOS again? or Yes, for GEOS again. Were, were you in Sydney? <laughs> Um, I was in Sydney, yes. Was it the one yeah. on um, George oh, Road? George, was it on George Street? Yes, yes. I managed. I was a director of studies for um, the two schools, not for Bondi, but for the Manly campus and for the George Street campus until they unfortunately closed in two thousand and ten. Yeah. You, you know. This is gonna. This is this is freaking me out right now, Anna. This is freaking me out. Did you hand in your CV to me? You're like, no. No, I worked. <laughs> I was working there when it closed. I'm Seriously? not even joking. I was working there when it closed. I, so you no remember I got everyone life. to call and bring suitcases, take all the books. Take I was. I was there, and um. Oh yeah. I, yeah, yeah, two two thousand and ten. Yeah, I just started working there. I'd done maybe four or five classes. I, I am I'm still friends with a few people on like on on Instagram and stuff like that. Some of my students from there. When you said it was Gia, so I was like, hang on a minute. I was yeah. I was there when it closed down, and yeah, after so that. So I've closed, probably seen your CV. I might have even spoken to you. You, you might have even <laughs> hired me to be honest. Like, Very nice. Yeah, we had quite uh, yeah. a lot of teachers at that stage. Sixty five teachers at that campus. Yeah, that was. Um, yeah. Um, I was there when it closed. Um, I then a went and worked shock. in a pub. Yeah, it was a bit of a shock oh. for me as well because I just got the job. I'd been there for maybe three or four weeks, and suddenly it closed down, and I was like, oh, "That's not cool." I'm really curious now. We need to go and go back through our files. But uh, yeah, that was a, a really interesting time because I was involved in the setup of Geos in Wellington in New Zealand, then moved to Sydney. Um, well, moved to Japan for years and then went to Sydney. And there I was sort of responsible for the closing of the school. And of course, you have very little to say because it was gone into receivership, but you're supporting your staff. And I was just trying to make sure that everybody at least got paid and got what they owed, like books, the materials and whatever was theirs. Well, so, yeah, I, 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 oh I, I was just surprised at the time. But yeah, it was... Uh... Wow, I, that's just blown my mind. I can't believe we've we've worked. I've worked for you. You've been my boss. Before, I know, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> I, I vaguely, very vaguely remember the interview, but yeah, I, I was I was there when it closed. I was living in Australia at the time. Um, oh wow! And then I, A I then small went world, Harry. So small. I then went and worked at the yeah. Alfred Hotel in Camperdown um, as a barman because I was like. I need a break from teaching. <laughs> you know, the last place went into receivership. So, oh, that has absolutely yeah. blown my mind. Um, How funny that we just find that out now as well. I know. Where, where, <laughs> so, what, where did you go after Geos closed? What happened? What happened to you? I went and worked in a pub for for six months before moving to Spain. What did you do? What did I do? Geos closed, and I completed my Delta at Ace. Um, the Australian College of uh, Teacher Training, Navitas, I think they're called now. Yeah, so I, I worked there, I did finish my Delta and started teacher training. 
And then um, quite quickly after that, this is another funny story as well. This is how I ended up in the Middle East. Um, I worked at University of New South Wales. I did some teaching there, which was a really long way from Menly to get to every day, but I did enjoy the, the environment. And then I saw a job at the British Council in Jordan online. So I started that process, but I'd never worked for the BC before, and I didn't know you had to fill out about 10 different pages. <laughs> so I started, and the deadline for submission was at midnight or something. So I started, and around 10 o'clock, I was like, gosh, I'm so tired. I can't continue this. This is it. Just, just let it go. Uh, and my husband actually finished off the application and sent it out anyway. I think he wanted to get rid of me. Um, so he sent it out, and two days later, I got a phone call. Um, that there were a message, an email that they wanted to interview me. And I think we had a Skype chat and then they offered me the job. And that started about a month later. Oh, wow. So you, you, you know, upped sticks and moved from Manly to Jordan. Yes, I did. So another the culture start shock. of my time in the MENA, indeed. <laughs> so you went, um, first you obviously went, you know, from, from New Zealand to, to China, big culture shock, and then Australia to, to Jordan. Again, another... Another culture shock. What was, which was a bigger culture shock for you? Do you think? Um, it's very hard to say because we have so many Chinese um, people living in New Zealand and Australia. So you may be more used to to how they talk, how they behave, and how they interact together. Although living in China, the traffic, as you might remember, was just like, oh my God, how am I going to cross this road? Because nobody seems to stop and let you go. You just sort of have to push. Um, but in a way, there was a culture shock that I didn't understand anything, that, that things were really big and huge. I mean, the roads, the, the shopping malls you went to. Um, but my culture shock going to the Middle East uh, was slightly different, I think, maybe because it wasn't so shiny, it wasn't so glossy. It was like, oh, really simple life, actually. Still, trying to cross the road wasn't easy, but by that stage, I probably knew just stick out your hand and go and don't look at them because that's how it works here. <laughs> yeah, and there's also a big difference in, you know, when you go somewhere for the first time, you, you're obviously a lot younger as well. You know, that first culture shock when you go, you know, for me, when I went to South America, I was, I was only, you know, well, I was, I was 23, maybe I just turned 24. Um, and it was, it was, it was so different. Like everything was so different. It was, it was crazy. And I couldn't speak the language at the time. So it was just like, wow. But yeah, then, then after that, when I moved to, you know, China and Vietnam, it was, it didn't seem, even though the culture was massively different, I think as I'd adapted in the past before that, for me, I think the bigger culture shock was, going from Vietnam to Australia, like going back to what yes. was, in my opinion, you know, normal. I've said that in inverted commas, everybody, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just we so you know the on same. the radio. Um, <laughs> to go back, and for me, that was more difficult to adapt going back to the kind of almost real life. It was like, well, I'm, I'm, it was a bit like living in England because everyone was, you know, English, English speaking. And uh, I don't know. I could understand everybody, which I didn't really like, because I could also understand all the horrible things that people were saying. And I was like, you can't really think that, you know. So for me, that I, I really took a hit when I went to Australia from Vietnam because everything was so almost the same as back in the UK. And I really didn't enjoy I thought I was going to get to Australia and be like, all right, that's it. I'm going to stop here. I'm going to settle down. But I didn't. I wanted more 
excitement. I wanted to I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to stretch myself. And and you know, living in in Spain just seemed like a logical option because you know, the, yes, the cultures are very similar, but there was a whole another language, and you know, I could challenge myself with that. And yeah, I'd like to know that about when you you went moved over to the Middle East. Um, <coughs> did you? So you obviously you're, you're teaching English, but um, how was your learning uh, of of other languages uh, come along since you moved there? Um, good question. I was just going to say that reverse culture shock. I felt very much as well when I moved back to New Zealand. It was just like, oh, everything's so organised, everything is so rigid. So then coming back to the Middle East or coming to the Middle East, a completely different culture, things are a bit more easygoing. And that's maybe what I quite like. You know, everything is possible. We get it done one way or the other. Um, besides that language learning, um, initially, when I was in Jordan, I did take Arabic classes. I really wanted to learn Arabic. Um, and also, there were good opportunities, actually, to learn because you're in a culture where most people speak that language. And mm -hmm. there was very lit little English at that stage. Um, then I ended up working for the British Council in Morocco, Algeria. And, and their Arabic is slightly different. So I maybe... I could say things in Levantine Arabic, but they would reply in their own Arabic and I wouldn't oh, really get wow. it because the accent was different. So that really demotivated me a little bit. And I speak French. So being in Morocco and uh, Algeria, that was really a much easier way for me to communicate. Yeah. And then moving to the Gulf, there's another form of Arabic again. So it's like, oh my goodness, you know, I pick up all these bits and pieces. And at the moment, I'm actually teaching in Tunisia. So I was saying something to my teachers that I've always used in Jordan. And they're like, no, 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 we don't say that in Tunisian Arabic. I'm like, here we go again. So um, I actually have to admit, I've gotten quite lazy learning Arabic because every time I learn something, I can only use it in certain places. Okay. I mean, I can completely understand that though. Like I could, I can completely understand the, how demotivating that would be. I mean, imagine if now I know English does change from country to country, you know, you go, you, you've got your British English, your American English, your South African English, your Indian English, you know, there are all these Englishes, but they are very much mutually intelligible. Now I can imagine the difficulty of learning like Arabic can't be easy in the first place. So having to learn it five times, um, I can imagine that wouldn't be um, the most motivating. Um, and you said you're, work I, uh, you're working in Indonesia sorry. now. No, no, go ahead. Um, sorry. No, I still try to learn everywhere I go, like one sentence of that particular Arabic dialect or accent, whatever you want to call it, just because I think it's important that I show the teachers or the students I work with that I'm also a learner. I'm not, I don't know everything, and particularly your language and your culture, I want to learn about so that Absolutely. I really try to make that effort. And even though I might not say it correctly, they start laughing and that breaks the ice for a bit as well, I think. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I definitely think that now I, I got really angry in one of the schools I worked in, in a couple of the schools I've worked in. I've got angry, angry, no, displeased with the methodology, let's call it. And they say, you know, you have to pretend that you can't speak Spanish. We know we don't want them to know that you speak Spanish. And I say, hang on a minute. I've been living here for like at the time, let's say three, four, five. I've been here for, for 11 years now. Um, and I'd say if I went into the classroom and I don't speak the language of the country that I'm in, I'm a massive hypocrite. 
you know, going in there saying to them, hey, everybody, you need to learn English, but I can't speak any Spanish, even though I've lived here for this amount of time. I, I was, I'm, I'm not going to do that for a start because it makes me seem ignorant. Um, for seconds, it's rude to go to another country and not like at least learn a few phrases. Hmm. You know? Agreed. And, and third, that it's useful. To, to have certain phrases and be able to link them, particularly with Latin languages, the amount of connections there are with English. It's wasting, you know, almost <coughs> 3,000 words are just wasted if you pretend that you can't speak the language. You know, that these are the same words. You know, we use the same words. They're just with a slightly different accent. So, um, yeah, I, I, just, I steadfastly refused. And, you know, in the class, I'd say, okay, guys, I can speak Spanish. I won't unless it's absolutely mm. necessary. So we weren't there. You know, we wouldn't sit there and just chat away in Spanish. You know, if, if it helped the situation, if it was important to the situation, particularly with young learners, like, you know, if, if you're teaching four, five, six, seven-year-olds and they can't communicate with you and they think that you don't understand, then you're going to miss out on so much of that rapport building with them. Mm. You know, the, the opportunity... They're going to come in. They're going to want to tell you that it's their cousin's birthday in three weeks' time, and they're having a party in the park behind your house. They're desperate to tell you that, or that their tooth has fallen out, but they don't know how to do it in English yet. So they need to be able to tell you, and you need to be excited. So you can be excited in English, but they need to know that you know they can they can speak to you. Um, and and I think that's a really beautiful example of how things change as well in teacher education, because I don't know when we in the 70s, it was no, you know, you cannot speak their first language. And possibly if you go back to research and the history of language teaching, that was very valid because we didn't speak the language of the country we lived in. You would just be an expert teacher. You were sent there maybe for a year. Yeah. But now, if you do know that language, I think there's a lot more understanding, not everywhere, like you said, that that first language can be very beneficial. And particularly with young learners, it's not only the language we teach. We also teach that conceptual understanding. So build on that and take it as a bridge to the next step where you want to go. I exactly. very much agree with you. 100%. Now, so you were a teacher. Um, you started out as a teacher. We, we worked in the same place together. So you were a teacher, you were a director. <laughs> um, how did you get and how do we get um, from teacher to teacher training? You know, um, and what are some of the differences? Let's let's move now towards your expertise, if, if you don't mind me calling it that, because... <laughs> I know you're an expert. You probably don't want me to call you that. People don't like being called an expert, but I know you are. So I'm going to call you it anyway. Um, oh, so... That's very kind of you, Harry. I'm a bit shy now. Luckily, you can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do we do that? Um, I know for me that it, it felt natural to go from, hi there, Brina. Brina just said hello in the, in the chat there. Um, I know for me it, was, it felt like a natural step, you know, to, to help teachers learn as well and develop so what can we do um i've got so much to say i don't really know where to start structure um i think one of the things i was just lucky probably to become a teacher trainer in one way because i was in jordan at the british council they needed someone to go to palestine to do some teacher training and they said do you want to go to tkt course da, da, da. so i took that opportunity with both hands worked in Palestine on that course, came back to Jordan, and then it was like, oh, we have uh, a teacher training course that needs to be written about teaching IELTS. 
uh, in Iraq because we're going to introduce IELTS in Iraq. Is anyone happy to go? And everyone was like, oh, go to Iraq. So this is about 2010, 2011. And I thought, you know, British Council is not going to ask if, this is, if it's not safe, if they haven't organised it well. So I just put my hand up again and said, yep, well, happy to go. Um, so I ended up writing that course. It was when IELTS was introduced at the university. So all the lecturers and the teachers and the feedback was really good. And that's how it actually started. Um, and I just enjoyed it so much. And this probably goes back to what I said at the start. I've always felt that I wanted to make a difference and enable others. That is something I feel very strongly about. You know, mm -hmm. if people say, oh, I can't do that, I'm not good enough. And I've heard that enough in my life. I will never say that to anyone. You can do it. We can help you develop those skills. You're just not there yet. So I've been very much wanting to help others to achieve what they want to achieve. And what yeah. that is, is their choice. But I would love to support you and walk that journey with you. Um, so that really resonated with me, seeing people respond and getting new ideas and getting excited about things in the classroom. Um, and then I started presenting at the TESOL Arabia and someone from Macmillan was in my presentation. It was just, I'd signed up like you, you know, you go, you present. And that person after the presentation came up to me and said, are you interested in working for us in this region and doing teacher training? So this is actually how it started. Other people see you, then I, um, completed my CELTA trainer in training in mm -hmm. Dubai at IH and that's actually when it took off. So then you actually are sort of, I don't want to say accredited because it doesn't exist, but you're a CELTA tutor. So you probably know how it works. Um, but this is where I think, you know, I don't know if this is really all it is because you need to have such an interest in learning. And, and this is where I find sometimes the ELT industry is not as... Um, doesn't provide as much depth about learning. What is learning? How does learning work as mainstream education? Mm -hmm. When I did my PGC, there was so much focus, of course, on numeracy and literacy and curriculum development, uh, but there was a lot of focus as well on educational psychology yeah. about learners, how do they work, what impacts their behavior, their attitudes, the learning process, uh, instructional strategies, techniques, but also on evaluating that learning process, things that actually work, that research has shown that are not so effective, like underlining and highlighting. <sighs> and I've always been very interested and, and super focused on that. And I think for me, it was always like, okay, we need to train teachers, but we also need to make them more aware of how learning works. Yeah. So that is really my passion, you know, enabling them to empower their students by making them aware of effective learning, making learning happen. How can we do that with simple methods and simple strategies? That is, so that's that is what I inserted key. in my courses. Yeah. yeah. It's so important to know how people learn. You know, it's not just about only having fun in the classroom. And it's nice to get loads of practical ideas. And there are like places for that, but like knowing how it works as well. Um, and and yeah. I, I saw your talk on um, your talk for the Global Teacher Festival. I saw it three times um, and I enjoyed it each and Sorry. every time, by the way. <laughs> no need to apologize. You know, I, I was on after you. Um, and I could see how you had that kind of mixture of, of theory and practice at the same time. And and the reaction from the participants was, was fantastic. Now, I'm just going to look on my phone to get a, a tweet 
that that went out earlier today. Um, so I, I, I obviously tweeted that we were, we were doing the show today, um, and this was something that really stood out for me. A tweet from from Sam. Now it's in here somewhere. Um, I'm going to have to remember it, aren't I, from memory, which is terrible. Um, I can't seem to find the notification. But anyway, I said it was about CPD um, and choosing your CPD and, you know, where to go next. And you're going to help us choose where and why. Uh, And what Sam Crowther said was he never got the chance to choose CPD it was always shoved down his throat, and it was like it was made. He was it was given. Um, it was he had much nicer phrasing than this, um, but it was like given to him. It was he was forced to do it. You know, there was no choice in the option. <laughs> exactly, and you know, for me, that suddenly stops being. There's no more P in that, and there's no D in it either, because you know, it's not it's not uh, professional. There's no development either. Um, and it just become it feels like it's just continuous. You know, it's just more and more and more. And and it was something that reminded me of some of the academies that I've worked in that there were meetings every single Friday that you had to go to. And in the meeting you were taught something. But for me as a student, for me as a teacher, for me as a human, if I don't want to be there, I'm not going to learn anything. I'm just going to resent being there. So this idea of being forced into CPD, this idea of being, you know, you have to do this, just kind of defeats everything. So I think it's one of the great things about ELT are there are so many options out there. Um, Oh, hi, hi, everybody. Thank you for saying hello in the chat there. It is great to have Anna's pieces of wisdom. Um, I like to call them nuggets. They're like gold. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, these these chances that we have to to go out there and and find the CPD that we want. Um, how can you yes. help people do that? How can you guide people? Like, what is it that that you can help people with in terms of CPD? Like, how can we choose the right thing, basically? Because there are so many courses available. I know. So so can I get back to what you just said, Harry, before of what, what Sam spoke about, about this, is it force feeding or do I have a choice? Um, and I think one thing for me coming from mainstream education, it's very clear your CPD or your PL, whatever you want to call it, there are standards that you need to keep meeting every year you teach. So often there's a very clear framework of professional development for you available. Um, Mm -hmm. And yes, that might feel like it's force feeding you because I do think we need to have some sort of choice or at least different pathways that you can choose as a teacher, but at least it is initiated by your school. And I don't know what it's like where you are, but I've worked in a lot of different schools and a lot of different settings. Some schools offer nothing, absolutely nothing. And then I think it's completely informal what we do. It's self-directed, self-funded, and we actually deserve more as teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, there should be a budget for us like there is in mainstream education because things are not cheap. Um, and like you said as well, if you can make choices yourself, you have your voice in this process, what are you going to choose? Yeah. And it's very hard because I can't give you a simple answer because it's really dependent on where you are in your career, what your teaching context is. So um, there are pros and cons to having that set up for you. But I do think it's really important that we can choose. 
I've been to a few, I've, I've been to and I've worked in a few um, different places where they do it differently. Um, there was one place I worked in that would have training sessions. Um, there'd be one a month, but there would be a choice of three different training sessions, you know, so you have the option of going to whichever one you want, which for me was great. You know, there's one a month um, or that, no, you had to go to one a month, but there were two options every month. So there was one every two weeks, but you had to go to at least one of them. Um, and that way you could, and you could choose from three on each of the different events. Now, obviously it depends on the size of your school. Um, you, you know, you can't do this in a language, that in a language academy, if you've got four different teachers, you know, <laughs> this was a massive language school that had 15 different centers. So, you know, that was a way of doing it. But it also meant teachers could have Fridays off, um, except on the odd occasion when they would do their training. And then I've been at some places that, you know, they, they offer to pay for your Delta if you stay on and work there for a certain amount of time afterwards, which, again, you're kind of paying it off as you work for them, which is a, a great, a, a fantastic idea. And um, these kind of choices, because, yeah, um, We've been meant somebody uh, Breen has mentioned in the chat that teachers don't get paid enough and courses are expensive they're really expensive like i run a course myself um it's called creating a greener mindset if anybody wants to sign up um <laughs> little plug there um and you know it's i don't consider it to be particularly expensive it's it's four weeks and it's it's 250 euros but that's not particularly expensive for somebody living in western europe for someone living in exactly. australia um, exactly. but i also you know i've had you've had teachers in there from india and argentina and you know what i do is i adjust the price because i want people to be able to do it i want people to be able to learn these things and for me it's more about you know it's actually more about covering costs than anything else you know i don't want i don't want to make loads and loads of money out of it i want to be able to help people learn um so for me that, that's really important but that's not how it is for most courses like mine's an individual course run by me it's not it's not a huge international course which you know if you want to do the materials writing course at nile you'll get loads and loads out of it it's a brilliant course but it's not going to be cheap Absolutely. And I enjoy working on that as well, but it's not cheap if you come from a country where the pay is very different to Spain, Australia or the Middle East. Um, I, I like how you say you adjust your price to where the teachers come from. That's really, really kind of you. And yeah, it is about making that difference, right? And I think for me, I tried to start up a Facebook page in 2011 when I set up my own company as well, Teacher Train. And it's always been no profit. I mean, if you need materials, I put them up, I create them. So for a long time, I used to upload an internet site that was useful for my teachers in Africa. They didn't have a lot of time. They had 20 minutes a day behind the computer. So they could actually go to that particular website that week and explore the activities or the information that was on there. So they didn't have to search. So indeed, again, making a difference. Um, lots lots of expensive courses out there some excellent courses of course as well you pay for quality i think uh, to a certain extent then there are also a lot of free courses and i think this is where it all becomes very messy because those free courses could be really good as well but they are yeah. not really for free because you're giving up your valuable time that you could have spent with your partner or your children or do something that's important for you like yoga 
and injure your hand. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so time is also a very scarce commodity. So you need to think very wisely about what you're going to do. And I think the other danger is that you just do everything. Yeah. And why are you doing this? You know, what is the aim? Where are you going? Um, so, of course, in my company as well, I work with people who want more bespoke teacher developments. It could be one hour, it could be two hours, it could be that they want to just have a chat about where should I go in the future. I often look at professional developments as um, it's not for promotion, it's more for progression mm-hmm. for your own developments. Oh, I and like I think that they're phrase. sort of there are two pathways. You can choose progression in the longer term. I know I want to be a director of studies. How do I get there? Mm-hmm. So that is really looking more at your career path for the future. Then the other pathway for progression, I think, is when you look at where you are now and you want to deepen your own skills or knowledge in that current position. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So it's a slightly different approach. Yeah. I mean, for me, back in 2013, when I was studying for the Delta, it was purely because that was what I thought I should do next. It wasn't because I was passionate about this, that and the other. It was like, well, I, I know how to do this. If I want to go anywhere, then I need to have the Delta. I think back then there were far fewer options of things to do. Oh, One yeah. of the things that the pandemic has opened up is this idea of um, you know, online learning and global global communication. Yes, it was there before. Yes, you could do these, you know, asynchronous courses before they were available. Future Learn's been around forever, but they weren't as out there. You know, there weren't as many. It didn't seem like there were as many options. And now, for me, it is that time thing. It's you know, can I afford it time wise? Because yeah, I've got all too many options to now, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, in terms of of teacher development, um, why is it important, and what are the aims and you know, what are, the, um, what are the differences there? So you mentioned a bit about progression in your job or progression to move to another job. In your career, yeah. yeah. Um, why is it important? Um, I'm just thinking about an aisle because I'm much easily... Sorry, why is it important? Why is it important? Um, no, I think also when you look at PD, it could be important for you as a teacher because you want to get awareness, for example, of materials development or awareness of what it entails to be or become a teacher trainee. So really raising that awareness. Then if you want to go a level deeper, we're really looking at the procedural knowledge. How are you going to do this? Mm-hmm. And I think that next level would maybe be putting that in practice where you are, that teacher trainer, where you are, the IELTS teacher, and then you might have this adaptive level where you're actually starting to adapt this and, and work it into your own context because all those courses are fabulous, but they're not designed for your own context. Your learners are different. Your context is different. So we always need to make sure that you are aware of that context sensitivity. You need to be able to adapt it so it works for you in the end, which sometimes I see people don't do and they come up with a certain approach like guided discovery and the students don't expect that because it's a very like in China a very teacher-centered approach you know Mm -hmm. that's not you cannot just go directly for that guided discovery you need to explain and slowly get your learners to accept that approach in teaching so I think those are the levels if I look at PD Um, why is it so important oh there's so many reasons I think for me (laughs) personally I'm addicted to learning 
I don't know anything any better than that I walk around with a pencil and take notes and always read and underline, not very effective, but um, we're in the, in, in the business of learning, right? We're in the industry of learning and teaching. So it only seems logical that we as teachers also keep learning because things Absolutely. change so rapidly. I, think, I mean, look at COVID-19, a beautiful yeah. example, right? Yeah, I think for me, like when I just start, when I just finished my sales and I just learned how to become a teacher, you know, as, as I thought I had. That, that's when I was at my peak knowledge. You know, that's when I knew everything. That was the moment where I was like, yes, I can do this. It was after that, that, that you know, not necessarily the doubt crept in, but I suddenly realized that I didn't know everything. And there was so much more to learn. Um, somebody's mentioned in the chat here. Um, I'm not going to say their name because it's a, it's just a bunch of letters. It's ZKFN. I said, I like the distinction between progression and professional development. The certification associated with PD can sometimes make participation in PD activities a box ticking exercise. Exactly. And, yeah. and like this is something that you know we've we've experienced. Um, uh, it's uh, it's Harry from earlier. There you go. <laughs> um, um, this is something that we we've talked about um, a lot. And when we talk about when we do our, our webinars online, when we did for the the, the global teachers, is Festival, that a certificate? Exactly for LTOC. The first thing that comes into the chat box is when do we get our certificate for this? And it and it does become like a, a box ticking exercise. Hi there, Harry. By the way, um, we need to organise when to get you on as well. That would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, so it does become certainly with these free events like. They're a, a wonderful opportunity because you can hear from you can hear from amazing people. Now the lineup for the Global Teachers Festival, for example, was out of this world. It was amazing. I was there as well, which felt like you know quite good for me to be among such brilliant names. But you know, um, and yeah, El talked the other day as well. You, you, I see all these amazing names there and think, as a teacher, if I'd been given that opportunity to to spend a day, you know, at home um, yeah. or I'll, I can, you know, I can go out walking the dog while I'm listening to these webinars and, you know, join, use them almost as a podcast, as it were. Um, you know, these are opportunities I didn't have when I was working in, in academies. They, they weren't around until a couple exactly. of years ago when yeah. suddenly they've boomed. They've become this this big thing. Um, and it's boomed a lot because of COVID. It's, it's developed even further. And uh, just responding to what Harry said to you then, I think... That is beautiful. It's very accessible to most of us who've got internet. Not everybody can watch an hour because it is expensive to get data on your phone in certain countries and the internet at home doesn't always work because there's a generator. Mm -hmm. um, but also we need to make sure that it's not that webinar and that certificate is not your destination. It is a journey. It's called continuous professional development because like I said to you, there's always room for us to learn. We never a finished product as people and we don't need to be finished. We will never be perfect, but there's always so much more to learn. And one of my favorite quotes, I've actually written it down for you, um, is from Dylan William. And he says, every teacher needs to improve because not because they're not good enough, but because they can always be even better. Oh, I like that. And I think Ooh. it is true, right? There's always something you can tweak and it has um, an effect on your learning. And when I look at this quote, I also like to clarify when I say, because you can be even better. It doesn't mean a better teacher because I, I don't know, I'm a strong believer of our job is not about teaching. 
My job is not about training. It's about making that learning happen, optimizing learning opportunities for my students or my trainees. That is my job. It's not yeah. about me. Exactly. But um, it's a, yeah, but it's it's more. You know, I, I remember when I was I was doing a course recently, um, a, a master trainer course actually, and and it was all about you know the facilitator. You know, I was doing it with Michael Brand, yeah. um, who you know who works for, for the teacher trainer for Pearson. Um, and yeah, he was the facilitator. And in that moment, he, he, you know, doing that course with him, it was a, a four week course. You know, we, we had three hours together every week and he's, he's brilliant. You know, he's, he's a great speaker. I'm sure you've seen him speak at webinars and stuff like that, but as a facilitator, he was absolutely incredible. You know, not one moment was it about him. And that's something that, you know, we can fall into the trap of as teachers, um, as teacher trainers, and it can become about us. Now, I know with with webinars, um, particularly when you've got a lot of people in the chat and you can't actually see them when it's not like a meeting, it's it's difficult for it to not be you in there. You know, you can get replies from them. You can kind of interact, but it is kind of you focused on stage there and you in the face of it. But um, something I would like to talk about again. Um, so you're, you've mentioned you're doing, you're, you love learning. I, what are you, what's your current development journey? What is my current development journey? Um, <coughs> sorry. So last year, I mean, I've always been interested in this learning in professional development. Um, I did a paper in research in education. Goodness me, it was 2019, I think. Then the pandemic hit. And then last year, I decided to do a master's paper, a dissertation, uh, a just complete re free research. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I decided to focus on CELTA tutors. I collected data from, I think, 90, yeah, 90 CELTA tutors about that transition from the face-to-face -to, -face to the online training context. Okay. Um, and I had to analyze the data, set up the research project, do the ethics approval, and literature research. Oh, you're, you're back. Sorry, is really you disappeared. Focused on professional development or personal learning. Sorry, you disappeared learning, for a like second there. You're back teachers. now. Um, Okay. Uh, you spoke so to where did you lose me, Gary? Transition from online face to face to online, then you disappeared. Yeah. And then you came back shortly afterwards. Good. So um, I collected the data, analysed that, and I'm drawing some conclusions. I'm actually writing an article at the moment for the ELT Journal on that. Um, and for me, that's really what I need to develop further: doing research. Because when I do professional development, and this is my area of interest, that personal learning for teachers, um, how can can we better enable teachers to continue that journey? Because there's so many facets. What came out of that research really is that well-being is a really important element for us teachers. Have we ever been taught how to take care of our own well-being or the well-being of our trainees? It's not in CELTA or Delta syllabus. I, um, I remember one. I had one meeting once about taking care of your voice. Oh wow, that's more than I ever had. One meeting once, and this was while I was working in an academy which had rooms as big as my living room. You know, I didn't <laughs> need my voice taken care of. When I worked in a state school, yes, I needed it, but yeah, it was it, it was crazy. But that was it. I've, you know, there was nothing about 
mental health like that wasn't even mentioned it was almost a dirty word you know within the the idea of teacher training and, and teacher development and that i think is maybe another thing that has normalized possibly faster than uh, we expected because of covid19 that we can talk about mental health emotional health because you can only do well as a teacher or trainer if you actually feel well yes you need that energy right to perform um and yeah, empathy or relationship building, all those skills and all those uh, different aspects of teaching came out of that research that it's so important. How do we show that? How do we develop that? And another area that I really thought I want to research further is how do we actually do professional development? How do we run it? Because it was all self-funded, self-directed. Is there anything that we can get a framework or maybe an approach for teachers or trainers together to guide them all? Because the only thing there is now, which is quite a good tool, is the Cambridge Teacher Framework or the Cambridge Trainer Framework online. And that's the mm -hmm. only thing that's really there to guide your development. But um, yeah, I've chosen at the moment to focus on developing my research skills. So the information I get is up to date, but also, I think, relevant for my context. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, we got a message in the chat from, from Vanessa from Kids Can now. For me, I, I dream of having a boss like Vanessa for when, I was, when I was back as an early teacher. And she said, all of our teachers are trained in mindfulness and have regular self-care sessions. Wow. Uh, and, and for me, like, that is just, that is everything. You know, if I'd had that in, in a job when I was you know, younger, there's no way I would have left that job if I knew how to take care of myself, if I knew the ideas of, of mindfulness. She's so great, actually, Vanessa is. She, she, did a, she was on, on a talk here on the 1st of September. We talked about mindfulness. Um, she's so great that I'm going to her mindfulness summer camp in June. Um, well, June and July, the, the, the crossover of the month. Um, because, yeah, it, it, and she has her students as well. So it's not only about the teachers, but it's about the students' um, mindfulness and well-being as well. And when you have management caring about that and showing that they care about that it's so important now you're going to get the yeah. odd tefl teacher who you know looks at it and thinks oh what's this oh mindfulness or oh, hippie but you get 90 i'd say i'd say at least 80 percent of people will appreciate it and once you know more about it and get on board with it then it makes a huge difference you know just just from talking to vanessa i don't yeah. take my phone when i take my dog for a walk now I, you know, I take, right. I take my dog for a walk and I listen and I smell and I look. Yeah, be I, present, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, so, after the, sorry. <clears throat> no, no, you go ahead. It, it's really that, that being aware of what you, that could be very small changes that actually could make you regulate your emotions better. And mm -hmm. I did the mindfulness course with my mother-in-law who's very active in this area in Wales in the state school system. And she teaches teachers to teach their students in primary and secondary how to apply this. And it, it helps so much with their behavior. It helps so much for ourselves to regulate that behavior. Um, but also, I think if you're on a course again, you're a student again as a teacher, and that's an invaluable experience because you realize, right, I'm not going to do that because that's very boring. Ooh, but <laughs> this works well. So it gives you empathy for being students again and experiencing what it's like to sit there and listen to someone for hours, if that's the case. Yeah. Vanessa yeah. said that Wales is, is really ahead with mindfulness. Like They're doing really well in Wales. 
Um, yeah, that's my mother-in-law supporting all that. So. There you go. Um, <laughs> somebody has asked us um, how we can improve our relationship with our students. Now, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll start on that one. For me, listen. The first yes. way to improve, like the absolute basis of improving your relationship with a student is to listen. Listen to what they want, listen to what they like, listen to the, you know what they like to do outside of class, what they like to do inside of class, um, and relate your class to them. Personalize your classes. And for me, that's how your relationship will build. Um, I don't know if Absolutely. you have any other tips. Um, yeah, I would also say listen, definitely. Let them... Uh, when you listen to them, you're giving people your undivided attention. That's a very special gift, possibly the most special gift we can give to someone. And like you say, make it relatable. But I think also get to know them, ask them questions, show that you're interested in them. And you get to know more about their life and more about their likes and dislikes when you ask questions, which can actually inform your teaching again. Exactly. Yeah. You, you mentioned very briefly earlier um, about your, your Facebook group. Um, and obviously it's on LinkedIn as well. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about um, what that is? What, tell me more about, you know, what you do. Oh, what, oh I do. <laughs> um, well, I do all sorts of jobs. And like where we before. can find you. <laughs> what I do. Um, I really, I really try to find my niche as Rachel Roberts, who I did a course with before, also focuses on. And it is really teacher development. I just love helping beginning teachers or mid-career teachers really develop their skills to the next level, IELTS teachers. Um, I also love working with teachers who work in challenging contexts, because when I worked in Uganda, for example, in a short project, 125 students and no resources. Yeah, so how can you work with large classes? actually doing a webinar on that with the IA TEFL on April the 6th, if you teach large classes. So go and find them and join us. Oh, fantastic. And, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, they've got this one week, one day a week workshop going yeah. on in April. So, um, yeah, so limited resources, being creative, and teachers who want to get into teacher training. So at the moment, I've got my website up and running. It's, it's always a work in progress. And like how can we find that website? <laughs> Uh, it's www.teachertrain, one word, dot org. Okay, I'll put the I'll put the link in the chat now, but I'll also put it in the description. And where else can it's, we find you? I'm on LinkedIn as well on Teacher Train, and Facebook is also called Teacher Train. So that's where you see me promoting our talk today, Harry. <laughs> So, yeah, I try to sort of um, on my website have a page where you can see all my publications, what I've written for Macmillan, uh, handbooks on how to teach reading or vocabulary for young learners, um, a guide for the British Council for teacher development, how to work in large classes, for example, my blogs that I um, try to help teachers, particularly this month, I've written something on professional development, how you can make choices on that topic. So we don't get to talk about those steps here. Go and have a look at my blog. Um, yeah, so I try to sort of provide what I hear or feel that the people I work with needs. But I'm also looking into maybe setting up more of an online course or at least giving materials that I used to give to my teachers in Africa. Mm -hmm. So a lot of right, it is, yeah, it's all for free at the moment. So that's, that's you, you literally do everything. Can can you fly as well? Like you do everything. 
I do, I, I love working with students and with teachers because I still volunteer teach IELTS to a group of Syrian refugees and um, occasionally read stories at my nursery here with the really young kids in English. Yeah. Um, but what I really focus on is that teacher development because I think that's really what I, I like to enable or empower the teachers to enable their learners to enjoy those classes, to be engaged in English lessons. So if there's anything that anyone wants, particularly or bespoke, they can always contact me. And I fly to Saudi to do training in primary schools there. So I'm always happy to develop materials that really suits the needs of your learners. And this, again, makes it so hard to tell, to tell people what to do for PD because it's very um, context-specific. And it needs to be differentiated as well to the level of teacher you are, because you really need to start where you're at. Mm -hmm. And that is the trick sometimes as well. These courses start way below your current level or way above your level. Yeah. So we've got a couple of things in the chat here. Um, Vanessa said, is your mother-in-law at Bangor University? And is her name Sarah Silverton by any chance? (laughs) Um, no, it's not Elizabeth Williams. Elizabeth no, Williams, she... very Welsh name there. Williams, and she knows of that university because I do think there's some very good wellness programs at that university that okay. she works together with the people working there. Okay, and and Harry has has said, listening is definitely the key, but showing students that you are making adjustments based on what they're saying even makes them connect with you better. I couldn't agree more with that. And he said here as well, I've also enjoyed observing students in the playground and understanding their friendship groups. This helps me know them as humans and not just as students. Well, this is it, right? Brilliant, brilliant. We're not Um, teaching English, we're teaching people. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, 100%. Um, And um, Messier has also said, if I'm not mistaken, I heard about IELTS. In our country, sources are accessible. Any book you imagine, because he hasn't, what's, what's, what's the best book for IELTS? Um, Anna, what do you think? Oh, again, it really depends on the level your students are at and what they want to work on. But I really like Macmillan's book, um, Ready for IELTS from Sam Carter. Because I think go. it's very well structured. Um, it's very well structured. It doesn't only focus on the testing which the Cambridge series like 11, 12, 13, they're absolutely fabulous for practice, but they're not teaching the language. And as you know, uh, in IELTS, a lot comes down to vocabulary and grammar use as well. So that book really structures it well and integrates all those different skills that our students need. Do you know the first place I ever taught IELTS? Don't tell me it was Geos. It was Geos. It was Geos. (laughs) Yeah. I'd done uh, I'd done some TOEFL beforehand, but yeah, I taught IELTS at, at Geos. Um, so yeah, with a lot of, there was that a was focused and... on IELTS then, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh... Yeah, it was. It was. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey. You chose that book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wow, oh, that, that's, that's still blowing my mind. Um, that's so. Well, we need to have a coffee, Harry, and talk about this in detail. Yeah, the, the <laughs> next time I'm I'm in. The UAE. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a call. <laughs> I'm not there very well, often. Well, at the IA Tafel, I might see you. Oh, there. Yes. See you in Belfast. We can drink coffee Woo-hoo. there. That's not it. Irish coffee. Um, <laughs> you went to a face-to-face um, talk the other day, didn't you? I did. How indeed. was it? Tell me. I'm jealous. I'm so jealous. Oh, 
Um, it was, I was quite nervous actually, because it had literally been two years and two weeks. And I hadn't stood in front of people. I mean, they'd only seen the top and my pajama pants nobody saw. And all of a sudden in front of all these people, it's like, oh my God, they're staring at me. And then I was quite nervous, but it was wonderful to be back in, in the training room, the physical training room. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, so many impressions and so many thoughts afterwards as well. I think I wrote on LinkedIn as well that the main thing I really felt, um, that energy I felt 10 years younger after that session because you really get that synergy going. You can see their body language if something isn't clear, if they enjoy it, and you can really respond to questions much more effectively, I think, because you can see hands up. And in the chat box, I might ask um, ask a question yeah, instead of are there any questions because then nothing happens. Yeah. Um, but then still you get very limited response at times because it's easy to zoom out. Um, but also it made me wonder of the effectiveness of online training. I mean, if you're a beginning teacher and you're not used to communicative language teaching, wouldn't it be better to see it being modeled face-to-face in the classroom? Because you see so much more than my face. You see my body language, my position. That made me really question a lot of things. I I saw a great post, actually. Um, what we're going to do, we're going to shoot off very briefly, two minutes. We'll come back in two minutes, and I'd like to talk about a post that I saw um, and a few other things to see out to the end of the show. So that's going to keep everybody in suspense. Uh, and we'll be Ooh. back in about two minutes. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cats. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. Introducing Autism Aspirational Futures, a virtual SEN conference for parents and carers. Do you work with parents or carers of students with autism? If so, this free virtual conference from Witherslack Group can support them and you providing inspiring talks from leading experts, offering practical advice on supporting children and young people with autism and associated needs. 
this very special event will take place during Autism Acceptance Week and is sure to be an enjoyable occasion for everyone wanting to develop their knowledge, understanding and celebrate their children's amazing superpowers. Don't miss out! Register for free at witherslackgroup.co.uk today. Witherslack Group, the leading provider of schools and children's homes for children with special educational needs. We are back uh, and into the last 11 minutes, well, 10 and a half. Um, I don't know where the time's gone. What did you do with it? Where have you put the time? It's flown. It's gone too quickly. Um, like my life. Woo. <laughs> so welcome back, everybody. Now, um, Bulb was one of the adverts in there. Now, I, it's obviously, it's focused on what learners use it for. But I saw Nathan Ginn, who um, hosts the next show, the one after me, um, the next legendary Wednesday Wombat, um, as we are affectionately known. He doesn't like the name for it, but you know. Um, and I saw that he'd made his CV using Bulb. And you can include like videos and stuff like that. So it isn't just the typical, you know, you send somebody your one or two sides of A4, because I have no idea how to fit everything I've done onto two sides of A4 anymore. I've basically got the one I used 15 years ago with a few little adjustments to it. Um, but apparently you can use Bulb for that as well. So I'm going to be checking that one out. Um, and what about just sending a QR code with your LinkedIn reference? You know, uh, send them a QR code and go to LinkedIn and they can scroll through it. See yeah, well, there you go. Ah, oh, well, oh, look, Emma has can't change her nickname. And the brilliant thing is Emma was the person whose post I was about to talk about right before we mentioned, uh, right before the break. Now, Emma was talking, she, she's doing a talk um, in San Sebastian, I believe. Oh, um, is it Emma Heidemann then? Yes, I believe so. Hi, it says Emma. it's Emma H. Um, <laughs> and her post on LinkedIn yes, the other day. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, it was about what to take from online to the face-to-face -face, like zone. Like, should we be using these digital tools and stuff like that? And I... I think there are certain things that would be it would be really good for, like you know, with for feedback and stuff like that. Mute. But, um, but, yeah, mute is a really good one. Um, and yeah, that's what I mentioned. Get, getting an air horn out might be a good one, but you know, not great for for neurodiverse people in the in the audience. Um, I just normally make a, a really loud noise um, that shuts people up. Um, but but yeah, the the fact of using. <laughs> I don't know, poles or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, in the end, she's going completely analog, she says. Um, I, you know, I might use it for, I might pop a QR code up at the end asking for feedback or put a QR code up with a Padlet or something with like a handout or if anybody wants the slides that I've used, again, a QR code to get to it. Um, but I don't think Definitely. for me using that, the moment of going off to use a Mentimeter or going off to another, you know, the things that you do in, in online sessions, I usually do those because I don't want them to get too stale. You know, I don't want it to be too much of just sitting in front of the computer and listen to you talking. So I try and get like a more dynamic as aspect. One thing I do love is webinars have mostly been reduced to kind of 45 or 30 minutes. I I don't think it's as easy to have the full hour like you generally do in a face-to-face. -face. You need that time. You need the interaction time for people. Um, and unless you've got an hour, you're not going to send people to breakout rooms in a webinar. Um, no, but a webinar, I think, I mean, we tried it with Macmillan, the previous festival. 
um, we actually use click meeting and that this allow breakout rooms. So we mm -hmm. literally had 500 people in different breakout rooms, 25 people per room, but it wasn't really, there was not a lot of activity, let's put it that way. Yeah. So I don't think webinars should be compared to workshops. If you do a workshop, let's say an hour and a half, very active workshop, Yes, even a face-to-face -face one hour session. In the past, I used to use Mentimeter in those sessions as well. Mm -hmm. um, just if you want to get something visible, for example, um, give me one adjective. We're talking about teaching writing. Give me an adjective. How do your students feel about that? And it's beautiful to see in that Mentimeter if that word boring, boring, boring becomes bigger and bigger, for example. So I do think it's a nice way to quickly get something from your audience, represent that, and then start as your baseline for your training session. Um, and I said to Emma as well, you know, I, I've always used things like Padlet at the end, and particularly at the moment, I don't give handouts. So there is a QR that you can actually scan, then you can download the handout. But what I noticed with the teachers I've been working with two weeks ago, face-to-face -face in those three days, they were tired of the screen. They yeah. just wanted face-to-face -face interaction. So I didn't use anything like that. We had old-fashioned pack of sticky notes for each teacher to stick it on the wall or do an activity with. Come to the board, you've got your own pen to write with. And pair work, group work, elbow buddies, because that's what we've all missed so much. And they really said, oh, I'm over this screen. So I thought, okay, cut out all the Mentimeter or everything else. Just really make it about the human. That's humanizing it. the classroom which we used to do online exactly that's what we still need i think i think it is going to be that whole she said she's going completely analog which is great i mean i something i've found with with online sessions is i've i've, I've removed powerpoints where possible you know if i'm you know, if i'm working for a publisher they want me to use a slide deck they send me the slide deck i have to use it but if i'm doing it for myself or for renewable english i just I use a streaming platform and like I pop images up on the screen or I pop words up on the screen here, there and everywhere rather than being off in a little corner, um, you know, to try and increase that kind of connection between the, the viewers. And mm. um, I find that really helps. But I, I think it's going to feel really weird going back to face to face. Now, I, I, uh, I was going to be the first one I went back to, um, to face to face. Um, but then, you know, in the end, I can't go for the first couple of days because I have to attend a wedding ceremony here. Um, it's not mine. I'm not getting married. Uh, but so in the end, there was an opening to go to Fasse in, in Santander here, like a, a local um, a local conference. So I'll be I'll be driving up there with some people in the car, a nice seven hour drive to deliver a session wow. there. Um, and yeah, it's, it's I don't know. I, I absolutely love the the vibe of a face-to-face -face session. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I love webinars and I'm usually absolutely buzzing after them. I mean, I don't know how you went to sleep after the Global Teachers Festival finishing it's at very hard. three in the morning and like having the high of doing a whole day of that. I went to bed at about half past 11, I think, and I, was, I, I didn't yeah. fall asleep till about four. Um, but that... I was buzzing in... because uh, the next morning I had another webinar at nine, so I was still buzzing. <laughs> Honestly, that, that's that feeling of being in a session, being able to see people and <laughs> and talk to them afterwards and have that connection. I I have like really in recent weeks and months really kind of craved for it and yearned for it. So, yeah, 
Yeah, so, so I think when you plan your sessions to go back face-to-face, -face, I mean, yeah, by all means, get a Mentimeter ready, have your Padlet ready, but just sort of uh, gauge your audience, how they feel about it, you know, if they're really always so happy that we can finally talk to our elbow buddies, go, keep it simple, do the pair work and the group work, which we've all really missed, because it's just not the same in breakout rooms. They're fabulous. But I think that rapport, that relationship building is still, it's not spontaneous, right? It's all very organized. And you've got two minutes, get on with it. <laughs> well, that's very appropriate that you say that because we do only have two minutes left. Um, get on with know, it, Harry. I don't know where the time has gone. <laughs> um, so is there anything you'd like to, any final thoughts, um, as Jerry Springer would say? Any final thoughts? Well, first of all, if you want to find out more about what I do, little sales pitch here, go to teachertrain.org. Uh, there are lots of webinars, there are lots of blogs for you. Um, so yeah, do get in touch if I can help you in any way. Um, what I want to say, yes, continuous professional development is a journey. It's not about the promotion, it's about that progression. And I think it never stops. But we're also never going to be perfect. And that's absolutely fine. But make sure that what you do, I think it's most important that it helps your learners improve their learning experience. And for me, that's what it's all about. So enjoy that journey and think what you do it for and adapt it so it actually suits your needs and your learner's needs. That was a very long one. Sorry. Well, that wasn't long at all. That was, that was quite concise, to be honest. That was brilliant. I've had... A great time today. I knew I would. Um, I've been looking forward to this for a while. I knew I was going to have a great time and I did have a great time. It's been so lovely speaking to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks, Harry, for inviting me. And thanks for everyone joining us and asking questions. And yeah, thanks for being here. It was wonderful to be here. And yeah, I look forward to meeting you in real life again, apparently, at the IA Tafel in Belfast. Yeah, I can't wait to meet my former boss again when I, when, I get to, uh, when I get to Belfast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and so um, coming up soon, we've got Nathan Ginn, who'll be here. Um, and next week, I'll be speaking to Nita Seng from Subject to Climate. So um, do tune in for that. But I'd just like to say one more time, thank you so much for joining us, Anna Hasper. It's been a pleasure. Um, and we'll Pleasure, see you next week. See you soon. Thanks, Harry. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.